Welcome back to what God has done with my pain. As always, I am so incredibly grateful that you've been able to press play and join us on today's episode and today's interview. Today's interview is Shirley. Shirley is an incredible, incredible person. She's absolutely amazing. She is such a light in my life. And I just, I am so excited for you guys to hear about her testimony and all the goodness um, that God has brought into her life. I do feel the need to stress caution. Um, In today's episode, we do talk about heavier topics such as sexual molestation, suicide, domestic abuse, and just a lot of stuff in that area, and it can be very heavy. So if this is an episode that is difficult for you to listen to, I welcome you to take a pause and, you know, take a break from it. If you need to completely exit out, I really, really welcome you to do so. But with that being said, I just want to talk about Shirley's willingness to allow me to step into her life for a second and ask her these personal questions and also shine a light in all of the pain that she'd been going through. Just a lot of pain. And she talks about how there was a point in her life where she was just very angry at God all of the time. And she truly believed that God hated her and that she just could not have a relationship with God because you can't have a relationship with someone who hates you. Well, In today's episode, we discuss all of that and how God was able to step in and he was able to work with her pain and shine a light in her darkness and truly, truly bring her out of it and show her his never-ending love and grace. And I really welcome you guys to jump on in and listen. I really hope that this is able to help you. Um, If you know somebody or you yourself you know, are able to resonate with any of this. I just hope that it helps bring you closer to God or at least pique your curiosity of his love and his kindness and his grace in our lives. Um, Shirley is, again, an incredible person, and her story is just so profound. And with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and have us jump into this episode um, real quick. Uh, In this episode, I love to interview people in my home because I feel like it adds a little bit more of a, a personal touch to it. feels like we're just having a cup of coffee and not as much um, of what the whole intimidation behind interviews. And it, it helps people feel a little bit more comfortable, especially when they're sharing so many personal details of their life and their walk with God. Uh, so if you hear cats in the background meowing and whatnot, those are my babies. And they are also a part of my production team. They're fantastic. Um, one of them is in charge of my social media, other one email, and the other one just my audio edits. So with that being said, I am going to go ahead and let us jump into this interview. So I know that you live here in North Carolina, but I know that you're not originally from here. So where are you originally from? From upstate New York, about an hour west of Albany, a little town. Well, I grew up in a little village called Hageman, which is just outside of the city, similar to Lewisburg here. Wow. And so what was that like for you growing up in New York? It was a small little village. Everybody knew everybody. Um, yeah. You know, we had the, the typical people in our neighborhood that would tattle on us, but everybody watched us growing up and would tell our parents if we weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing, <laughs> that kind of thing. And small town, we um, I grew up in an era in the 50s where there wasn't even supermarkets. Mm. I um, would walk to the store. It was like a little, what we would call now a convenience store, mm-hmm. but they sold cold cuts and stuff like that also there and oh. meat. 
Mm-hmm. And you had the butcher, and he wrapped it. And, yeah. Um, I was an oldest of four children, and my mother would taught me at three years old, I would take a little red wagon down the street. She oh, would wow. cross me across the street, and I would go and get the gro- this. She would give me five things, and I would memorize those five things, and I'd oh, go wow. in the grocery store. She taught me because she had the babe. She had my sister who was two and a half years younger than me at home yeah. that she was taking care of. So she... Um, I would go down and get the groceries, and they were, like, totally amazed that I could remember the five things. Yeah. They knew that I was coming in with five things. Wow. I that's learned impressive. to count change and that kind of stuff and then bring it home. Wow, and that's such a young age, too. Yes. So were you always given, like, a, a bit more responsibility due to being yes. the oldest? being the oldest. Wow. And what was that like for you? Like, did you enjoy having that responsibility, or were you sometimes like, I don't want the responsibility? Um. I think I liked the responsibility. Mm. I never felt like I was, that it was a burden or anything. Yeah. So I, I really felt like it was, I didn't know any different. So you yeah. don't really know, you don't have a yardstick to measure. That's what we did. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's what, so I think I was scared the first time. Mm. But then after that, the people were so friendly at the store and then mm. they were giving me, you know, oh, you're so smart, and you're, you know, oh, this kind of things, yeah, compliments, that it you. made it an enjoyable thing. It was not a task. Yeah, yeah, you something that you ended up looking forward to, because you're like, I get yes. to play grown-up, and I also get to be told how great of a job I'm doing. Exactly. Nice, and so what was that like, too, um, now that you're getting older, did your responsibilities grow? Were there other things that you were able to take yeah, on? Yeah, as the, as the children grew up, as we have two sets of, in our family, there was my myself and my sister, first sister is two and a half years apart. Mm-hmm. And then my next sister didn't come until I was eight. Mm, yeah. And then my brother came when I was 11. So oh, we had the two yeah. younger ones, the two older ones. Yeah. So a fairly good gap, mm-hmm. too. Wow. So by the time my brother was, my sister was born, I just felt like I was her mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I did a lot of mothering with her. And then when my brother came, my mother went to work. So I would babysit take care yeah. of him I would already knew how to take care of a baby because I took care of my sister yeah a lot you know and I just loved it she was like my own little baby and ah you know that is so precious I think I can relate to that my brother is nine years older than me and so he always makes the comment of like I feel like I'm your dad because I've always like taken care of you and all mm-hmm. this stuff and so when I see my niece and nephew um they do feel like my younger siblings because of how much older my brother is and how young I was when he had them mm-hmm. Um, and so did you grow up in a household um, that believed in God or were you guys uh, not in believers? We, they were, we believed in God, but we were Catholic. Mm-hmm. So we went to church out of obligation. You do mm-hmm. a lot of things as a Catholic out of obligation. <laughs> yes, I also grew up Catholic. <laughs> yes, so you know what I'm talking about. Yes. And you're afraid of God mm-hmm. because you're constantly mm-hmm. told that God is going to punish you if you do something bad. Yeah. So there was that... Um, Fear, fear of God, mm-hmm. and fear that I wasn't measuring up. Yeah, there was always this fear of not being able to measure up to what God would expect of me. Mm. Yeah, and what was that like? So, when you would you say that like you knew of God, but you did not have a relationship with Him at that time? Well, I, it was funny because at eight years old, when in the Catholic Church, we I had. Uh, communion. When I went for first communion, something happened inside of me at that time. Mm. I felt this closeness to God. Wow. At the same time, what was happening was the Cold War was going on with mm. Kennedy being president and um, 
there was a lot of stuff going on yeah. with Russia, and people were buying uh, bomb shelters for what? Mm-hmm. I have no clue because they weren't going to stop a nuclear attack. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I mean, there was a lot of fear on the TV, and we were doing yeah. right, uh, doing drills in school. Yeah. So there was a lot of fear mm-hmm. going on at that time. You don't realize what actually how a kid is taking all that in. You know, but when I took the first communion, I really felt this closeness to God mm. at that point. Yeah. And as I got grew older, that clo- you know, I would say my prayers, you know, we were always taught to say our prayers before we went to bed and you know, with Catholics you have these set prayers that yeah. you say. Yeah. And but there was some kind of a switch in me when I did communion. Mm. Okay, and then as things in the world started getting chaotic and the the Cold War and stuff, and I, I had all this fear, I couldn't sleep at night. Mm. And I remember being afraid. And I started talking to God as a child. Yeah. yeah. And I learned that that helped me. Wow. And I felt like he was pleased with me for mm. a period of time. Yeah, because you were coming to him and mm-hmm. actually having like... Like time with him. Yes. Mm. And so you say that you had a switch. Was that switch, um, like, was it just something that your personality changed or your view on things changed or just the way that you approached God changed? Like, how would you describe that? I think the that? way I approached God and that uh, the fear wasn't, somehow with communion, I wasn't afraid to approach God. Mm. I don't know what that, yeah. I, I, yeah. even to this day, I don't really understand all that went place, but I really took it to heart that I was taking his body and, and really took, um, I remember doing the Stations of the Cross mm-hmm. and uh, really, you know, feeling bad about Jesus being crucified and, yeah. you know, and um, trying to wrap my little eight-year-old mind around all that, you yeah. know. Yeah, and that's that's amazing. Um, and. I'm going to ask, because I know, you know, growing up Catholic, they normally baptize their children. Were you baptized as a child? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I had a godmother and godfather. Yeah. Okay, perfect. I was just curious. Did you uh, later on get baptized as an adult when you decided? Yes. Or, okay. okay. Actually here in North Carolina. Oh, amazing. So talk to me about how your relationship started to grow from, you know, that communion and that switch to... In more into your adult life was there ever a time in your life where um your time and, and relationship with god grew stronger or was there also a time where um it kind of either you you became distant or you just stopped coming to him as much well there was a time when i was 11 years old that i had went to a local candy store and i was molested mm. and during that time my, I was with my sister. She ran out of the store mm. when the man had attacked me mm. and ran home and told my parents that I was letting this man touch me. Mm. Yeah. And so when I got home, my dad was really mad and really upset, and I felt really dirty mm-hmm. just from that little incident. Yeah. You know, yeah. No, I wasn't raped. I was just molested. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then... And you, you clearly, you didn't know the man. It was just someone random that was in the well, store. Well, he was a man who owned a candy store, and we found out later that he'd done this to a lot of the children that lived in the village. Oh, that's horrible. And they never arrested the man. Horrible. And he finally he moved away, but 
they he had done it to several of the children. Mm-hmm. He would get. I went there just innocently as an eleven year old to buy a, a birthday gift for a friend of mine. Yeah, and yeah, of with course. my allowance. And he yeah. said, "Well, we." I, I said, "I wanted like a Barbie doll or something like that." And he said, "Well, I've got some in the back room. Do you want to mm-hmm. come back here with me?" So we went back there in the back room. Now I'm innocent. I don't yeah. know anything about this, right? We go yeah. in the back room. We get the Barbie doll, and while I'm holding the Barbie doll, he's sticking his hands up my shirt. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. You know, and then and he went he went inside what I like to call your bubble in your space, mm-hmm. and just completely and I was like, and I just froze because I didn't know what to do, what to say. Well, we're taught to adults are right, you know. Mm-hmm. We listen to adults. Um, we respect adults and all of this. And like you said, you didn't know. So you weren't right. even given the tools to know. No. Kinda my like my family never talked down. about that kind of thing. And yeah. so I didn't know. And and then with my sister running home, from her perspective, I was allowing this man to do this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then my father flipped out. Yeah. You know, and he didn't want to call the police because they don't want anybody to know about this. And that's what everybody in the neighborhood didn't want anybody to know about it. Yeah. So how did Unfortunately, there were several kids. Well, because there was people that finally pursued it through the mm. law. Mm. Good. You know, but he never really, as far as I know, he never really got anything, no criminal charges out of it or whatever. But yeah. I know he did move. How did you feel when you found out you were not the only one? Well, I kind of felt bad mm-hmm. because I'm saying, well, maybe I could have stopped it, it. could have stopped mm-hmm. it sooner. Mm-hmm. And but we don't know how many, and some of them were way before me too. Yeah. And then yeah. I was kind of angry because why didn't they stop it? Yeah, you know. And yeah. where are the adults in all this? Yeah. They're worried about people thinking that that something's wrong with them because their kid gets caught up with this. And I'm yeah. going, what's wrong with you know? As an adult, when I look back, I'm going, God. And then. Not only did that happen that time, but I was molested four, uh, three other times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and each time I got stronger because I slapped the last one, left yeah. a print on his face Dude. from. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm saying, gee, was I raised in a nest of perverts or what? Yeah, yeah, and you it's know? unfortunate that um, we're so unaware of what can be going on around us until. Like it's either done onto you or, or the, you know, the peel is pulled back and we start to see these things. And it's, and I, like you said earlier, um, you felt dirty and it, and it's not, you didn't say that was okay, you know, but I know that from freezing, not knowing what you're doing, you look back and like, oh, I could have stopped him. I could have said, no, there's a million different things you could have done, but And people tell you that too. You know, the adults in my life now are telling me what I should have done after the fact when Mm -hmm. I had no information. Yeah, and and yeah, exactly. Like it's kind of so it made me feel. Not only did it make me feel dirty, but it made me um, look at myself in a very different way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And at the time, I'm developing into a woman. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm going through. I went through puberty early, like when I was twelve. Yeah. And. so now I've got all this in my mind about um, there's something wrong with me. Yeah. I got yeah. I definitely got the message that there was something not right with me, that there yeah. was something wrong with me. Yeah. And then with multiple incidents, then you begin wondering, what is it about me that, what am I doing to cause these people to do this to me? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I went through a lot of that to the point when I was 13, I wanted to kill myself. Mm. That's such a young age to start thinking like that, too. Yeah. 
I, I because I felt like I was hopeless. That it was hopeless. That I would never, you know, I I couldn't solve this mystery in my of myself. Yeah. And I I pulled away from God. Yeah. Because I didn't talk to God anymore. Because I felt like he was disappointed in me. Mm-hmm. That he was going to punish me even. Yeah. You know, and then I started viewing God as this ogre in the sky mm. who spent his days setting up these scenarios so that I would be punished. Mm. And that's not a good place to live because you live in no hope. Yeah. And that's how despair comes mm-hmm. in. Yeah. And that's and that's difficult. That's truly difficult. Like, it's it's hard because you you grow distant from God. And so you can't come to him because how your father reacted is how you expect God to react. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, you hear that God is a father. And when you have a worldly father, you set your expectation off of your worldly father. And naturally, when you felt his anger towards you and felt (laughs) my cat in the background, just swatting the other cat. Um, When you feel that and then you look at God and you're just like, God must be looking at me the same way. So what's the point in growing near to him um, and getting to know him even more? Because I like, and you, you, unfortunately, this load of shame comes mm-hmm. upon you. There was a shame. There was a guilt. There was actually a disgust of self. I hate self-hatred mm-hmm. because you have to get into self-hatred if you want to kill yourself. Yeah. So I was trying to form a plan on how to kill myself when... My aunt had invited me to Florida. My uncle, aunt and uncle invited to take us to Florida, where we had other relatives. And my sister and I went down there, and we were supposed to stay a week. But it happened to be that there was a airplane strike, and we couldn't get home. Mm. So we had to wait. We were down there like three weeks, and I got to meet one of my aunts that I didn't really know that well, but she was a born-again Christian. Mm. Wow. And we began talking, and she began talking to me about God. And... Um, said you know so I started to you know said well maybe I've got this God thing wrong so then I started praying for a while again Mm -hmm. and but I didn't feel the closeness to God because I still felt like he was not happy with me Mm. yeah and so then I went to then I asked my parents to send me to Catholic school Mm. which was a hardship for them but they did it oh wow and I went to Catholic school, and of course there was nuns there. Yeah. And I decided that to make things right with God, that I need to be a nun. Mm. <laughs> so. Yeah. So you said, "I'm going all in." Right. Yeah. I got to make this right with God. Mm-hmm. And um, so, when I was 16, I went away actually to a, a nunnery or whatever oh, you want to wow. call it. Yeah. Um, they had a weekend for people who wanted to thought that they might want to be a nun to see what it would be like. Yeah. So, and there was one that was close to where we lived. It was outside of Albany. And I went there and I go, yeah, this is it. I can pray. Mm-hmm. I can be locked away from people. I, I, I wanted this to be locked away from people because I didn't trust people yeah, at this point. Yeah, and it point. sounds like it's a domino effect of... I get to choose. This is my bubble, my protection. I'm close to God, and you can't get to me. Exactly. Mm. And it was kind of like one of those things. Mm. But um, then I went back again when I was a senior, and and I applied Mm. to go there. (laughs) And they rejected me. Did they say why? (laughs) Yeah, they said that um, they would prefer that I went to college and got my degree and then come back. Oh, wow. 
But that was like a a rejection of not only them, but a rejection of God. I'm going, okay, so you don't even want me. As a nun, yeah. Because I'm taking it as personal. You know, you don't want me, God. Yeah, because you could have helped gotten me accepted. Yeah. You didn't. You don't want me. Yeah. You know, that message came out, you don't want me. Yeah. So I go off to college, and I started dating for the first time in my life. I didn't date before then. Mm. And... um, I just had a great time for the first six weeks of college. I think I was drunk the whole time. <laughs> and I just did everything that I was never allowed to do in yeah. six weeks. Yeah. And then finally reality hit that, you know, my parents are going to get these this uh, thing saying what my grades are. And I haven't even been to class. So I better yeah. start <laughs> going. Yeah. And then I met this guy and um, he seemed to be safe. Mm. And we were together, and we did a lot of things together, but we did not have a sexual relationship. Mm -hmm. We were friends. Yeah. And, you know, we had other friends, and then it seemed safer to me because it's all all about safety. Yeah. Um, To be with him because I wasn't threatened by him. Yeah. And I was domineering him. Yeah. You know, he he was like a laid-back person so mm-hmm. whatever i said we did yeah you know yeah. what i mean so, so you felt to like me you that, had a little bit more control of the situation because I, I needed control yeah for sure yeah i had to have that control mm-hmm. and you know when i became very open with him we were able to talk we talked hours on end mm-hmm. um i don't he he loved me he said mm-hmm. And, but I didn't feel that emotional mm. love because I don't think I was capable that time to love anybody. I couldn't love me. Yeah. I didn't wow. trust, truly trust other people. So it was very difficult yeah. to be able to love. Yeah. But we were in a relationship. We did things together. We eventually we got engaged. Mm. And two years later, we got married. Mm-hmm. And my idea of getting married was to have children. Mm. It wasn't because I was in love with this guy. Oh, I see. Mm. Okay, I'm yeah. going to move on to my next step, which is to have a family and have children. Yeah. And he had written me poems, and he whined me, he dined me, he you know, bought me nice things, took me to places that I never went to before. Yeah. And then once we got married, everything stopped. Mm. The pursuit stopped. The pursuit stopped. Mm. And I'm saying, like, hmm. Or something, you know, and he wrote me letters and poems about how we would have children and just this yeah. whole scenario he laid out for me. Yeah. Well, on our honeymoon, he tells me he doesn't want children. Mm. So that was like a huge betrayal. Yeah. Cause and I was knew. mad for most of the honeymoon. We didn't have sex on our honeymoon either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I remember going home and I told my mom and she says, well, you made your bed now you have to lay in it you can't divorce them it's not an option mm. i goes well we didn't consummate you know we didn't you know we didn't have sex or anything she said, oh matter. you you even planned it out you said technically legally speaking it's right. still not it's still not done it's not official yeah yeah and um that's how strongly you must have felt about that because i it was a really really strong betrayal mm. i felt lied i felt betrayed at this person that i first person that i tried to trust mm-hmm. and yeah. have him tell me this so i was very angry for a year wow. but i felt like i had to stay there she my mother said you can't leave your father will have yeah. a fit Oh, and you'll go to hell, you know, and all this uh, stuff. And that doesn't help. 
<laughs> so now I'm being feeling conflicted because I'm saying, okay, now God's against me again. Yeah. God is doing this. You know, yeah. he's doing this. And I'm being punished. Why am I being punished? I'm yeah. constantly asking myself, why am I being punished? Yeah. And so after a year, I said, well, maybe if my mother said, you know, it's always better to try to catch flies with honey than it is, you know, yeah. being mean all the time. Why don't you try to love him? Mm. You know, so I tried to serve him and love him and turn things around. And so we did. And then we finally started to have well, what I thought was sex. I had no yeah, no uh, <laughs> yardstick to go by. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so every time we would have sex, I would think I'm going to be pregnant. Mm, yeah. So then every time I was I get my period, it was like the rug being pulled up from yeah. underneath me. Yeah. So finally, after I'd say three or four years, no, yeah, three or four years. I went to a gynecologist to find out. Well, I got I. Uh, what happened was now I remember <laughs> <laughs> is that I found out I didn't get my period and I didn't get it for two months. I had never skipped a period, so mm. I'm thinking I'm pregnant. Yeah. Aha. Yeah. I've made it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's okay. gonna happen, and I was yeah. so incredibly excited about it. And I made an appointment with a gynecologist. Yeah. And I go in there. And, you know, they, he was examining me and stuff. And he said, what makes you think you're pregnant? And I said, well, I skipped my period. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, are you having sexual relations? And I go, yeah. He goes, your hymen's never been broken. Oh, wow. Wow. And I puked all my lunch all <laughs> Oh my God! Because it was like, oh my God, what do you mean? Yeah, you know, and so, so he, he says, had a kind of. Break. So he put sent the nurse in. We got cleaned up, and I went there, and I said, "So he says, describe to me what you're doing, yeah, and how does this work?" And I and yeah. I told him because you are not having sexual relations. Mm. He said, uh, "There's something wrong because your husband's penis is not staying erect." Yeah. Yeah. He said, and that would break the hymen. So he mm. kind of like gave me this sex thing. And he says, yeah. I think the two of you need to go to a sex therapist. Yeah. So I said, oh, my God. <laughs> go to a sex therapist, right? Yeah. This is all new to you, too. Huh? All very new to you. Oh, yeah. Mm. And the shock of the whole thing, too. Mm, you yeah. know? And then I'm angry. Now, Understandably. Because yeah. I'm thinking, that's his point. He's supposed to be doing this for me. Yeah. <laughs> And so then what happened after that? We went to sex therapy. Mm. And the first thing the doctor says is don't have sexual relations. I'm going, that's the problem. (laughs) Why would we not do that? You know? So we had to go through these hoops and we had to watch these movies on how to do it right and what to do and all this other stuff. And we went through like six weeks of this. And we had some sessions together, some sessions separate. Mm -hmm. Well, at the end of six weeks, we had a separate session. Yeah. And he said to me that, he said, you have normal desires. Mm. He says, but your husband has a lot of issues, Mm. and he's not willing to work on any of them. Mm. And it's psychological and physical, I believe, but he won't even go for the test to find out why. Mm. So he, at this point, he's just has locked himself 
like he's not willing to try he's not willing to move forward you've married him and you were like now we've invested four years yeah and you you mentioned earlier like you were love trying to love him trying to serve him you were giving it your all and then you're also finding out that this whole time you, you you never even had a chance of getting pregnant and it sounds like and when the time comes, it sounds like he's not even willing to. And he tells find me he doesn't want on. children. Mm. Yeah. And I go, then why did you write all those letters? And why did you deceive? Yeah. So now the deceit again yeah. has come up. That yeah. seed that had been planted before is now, you know, almost wanting revenge. You know, yeah. I'm really upset now. You know, yeah. And. Um, so we talked about it, and then he finally, he's, I mean, we talked a lot, argued a lot about it. I'm not an arguer. He was not an arguer, but we did argue over this. Yeah. And finally I said to him, you know, there's no sense of us being married. Mm. My whole idea of being married is I'm going to be a mother. Mm-hmm. Okay? So this isn't working for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually was being like a mother to him, mm-hmm. and he had a lot of issues with his mother, and she was always interfering with our marriage, and it was, you know, it was not good because it yeah. was always me or her. Yeah. You know, and a lot of times he chose her. Yeah. If we were making a decision, I wanted to buy a house, she said no, so we couldn't buy a house. Yeah. You know, silly things yeah. like that. Yeah. You know. So finally, the day came. I said, "I'm going to go to get. I'm going to the lawyer. I'm going to get a divorce." I said, "Because yeah. there's no sense of us keeping this up." Yeah. And. He says, well, let's let's just talk about it some more. So we talked about it some more. And he goes, well, would you be willing to adopt a child? I said, mm-hmm. I don't care. I want a child. I'll adopt yeah. it. I'll do what I got to do to get yeah. it. Yeah. And he said, well, I'm not sure if I can adopt a child, but I think I can. Yeah. He says, also, there's things in my genetics that I'm afraid that I would pass on to a child that I don't want to pass on mm-hmm. either. And I'm saying, now you're telling me this? <laughs> yeah, this sounds like a conversation we could have had a while ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we started going down that path. You know, how could we adopt? And we found out, you know, you couldn't get a baby because it was very difficult at that mm-hmm. time to, to adopt a baby. And you had to have a lot of money if you were going to get a baby. Yeah. But I found out that you could do foster parenting. And he wasn't really too keen on babies anyway. Yeah. So we found out we could, uh, we got decided to do foster parenting and foster parenting in Ohio we were living in Ohio at that time it came up that it would be okay to if they would put a child in your in your home and when they got physical custody of the child they would um, mm-hmm. you would have first chance to adopt the child oh, so wow. I said well gee that could work you know when I yeah. talked to him about it and he thought that was a good idea so we went through the thing we got um, Qualified for chil- for children yeah. um, six to twelve year olds, and the first one came. Mm. I was like in heaven. I just love being a mom. Mm. He was nine years old, and I just Aww. I just loved him from the time he walked over the door for me. Yeah. Um, my br- my husband was kind of like standoffish at first, mm-hmm. but in my eyes, because yeah. I wanted this to happen, I was not seeing any negativity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I was focused on. Okay, this is yeah. our son. This is gonna work. Like rose tint glasses. Yeah, like and them. we're not gonna have to get a divorce, and nobody's gonna have to know, you yeah. know, because there's always that in the background. You know, what are people gonna say if you get a divorce, and what's your father gonna do if yeah. you get a divorce? You know, yeah. this was always a thing that my mother was always saying to me. Yeah, and the seeds that she was. So were this fixes it. This fixes it. I need a fix here. Yeah. Well. 
He lived with us for 18 months, and in my mind, everything was perfect. The day came that the social worker called and said they got custody of him, that we could go to the lawyer and start the adoption Mm -hmm. process. And I call my husband at work. I'm so incredibly excited about this. Mm. And he says, uh, oh, don't call the lawyer yet. We need to talk about this. What is there to talk about? Seems like you guys. That's what, I, that's, that's what I'm saying. Oh, so dear. he comes home from work and I'm saying, what do you mean? What, you t- what are you saying? He says, well, I've done some study on this myself. And if we adopt him, then all these ifs came in now all of a sudden. Mm. If we adopt him, we're going to move to Florida. And he's not going to have, we're going to do a closed adoption where his parents are not going to know where we are, and he's not going to have any contact with his family. Yeah. I said, well, how are you going to do that? I said, he's 12 years old now. He's going to learn how. We didn't have cell phones back then, but we had phones. Yeah. I said, he knows his parents' names, and he has 14 brothers and sisters, so he knows that he has a family. How are you going to do this? Just pretend that it's not going to happen? Yeah. He goes, well, the only way I'm going to do it is a closed adoption, and we move. Mm. Period. The end. And I'm going this isn't going to work, right? So I called the social worker up and she said, well, we've had similar situations like this before. She said, so we have a psychiatrist that we can send the boy to that um, will talk him out of being with his family. Mm. And I go, what? And she says, well, they can be talked out of it. And Mm. I said, well, when he had his psychological evaluation, They said that he had a strong folksy tie, because he's from West Virginia, Mm. to his family. And that it would be psychologically damaging for him to not have that relationship. And how do you not have it when you know you have it? Yeah, yeah. You know, and she says, well, I know that this doctor can do it. And I said, no. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. I said, I can't do that to him. Mm. So I pleaded with my husband. I begged my husband I offered him everything under the sun to Mm. just go through this adoption. Yeah. And it was no, no, no. Mm. And the social worker was pestering me all the time trying to find out when we're going to go to the lawyer. And so I finally told her, and she said, well, then we're going to come and get him. Mm. And you'll never see him again. And they Mm. came and got him the next day after the school bus. (sighs) Didn't get to say goodbye. (laughs) It was like a death of a child. And understandably. And it sounds like at no point was, I mean, it sounds like you were the only person thinking about him, putting him first. And at no point was she thinking about him or was your husband thinking about him? It was more about for him, these are my circumstances and this is point period blank and for her it's like do it or don't do it do it or don't do it right do and it. i'm in the middle <laughs> yeah like you're that. you're you're being placed in this amount of pressure point and, and i did remember the night before when she told when she told me that they were going to come and take him mm-hmm. they she didn't say when they were coming and take him but they mm-hmm. were going to come and take him when they got home for him so i knew it wasn't going to be long yeah. um that night i set the boy down and i talked with them and i said this is a situation i said i love you Mm. With all my heart. Mm. I said, but in order for us to adopt you, you're not going to be able to have, be able to talk to your parents or your brothers or sisters or anything. Yeah. Yeah. 
I said, how do you feel about that? And he said, I love you too. Mm. He said, but I can't do it. Yeah. Yeah, and that's understandable. You were such a young age and such an impressionable age, and you just want to be loved and be loved. And you took the time. You took the time to tell him and sit down with him, and that must have been such a difficult moment. Such- it was horrible. Mm. And they came, like I said, the next day he got off the school bus, and they were there, and they took him and had him gather his stuff and left. Mm. And I sat in the chair, and I just died. Mm. Emotionally, I was just shut down. Yeah. And my husband comes home from work, and I'm so mad and so angry. Yeah. That I can't even express it to him. Mm. You know, and I, and he says, where's the kid? And I said, they came and took him. Mm. And we're never going to see him again. And we can't know where he is. And he says to me, Good. I'm glad. Mm. I'm glad that he's gone. He says, because you know what? October 30th of last year, I asked for pancakes and he wanted hamburgers and you made hamburgers. And he had this whole list of all the dates and times when I put the kid before him Mm. in his mind. And he was Mm. just totally jealous. Mm -mm. And he says, I just want you for me. I don't want anybody else in our life. Mm Mm-mm. Mm-mm. And that was like the most devastating moment of my entire life. Yeah. And up to this point, I thought I had a tough time before, but yeah. I just shut down completely, and I was yeah. working at the I time. Can't, I can't even begin to imagine what that must have felt like, because again, time and time again, you're getting these experiences where these these men in your life are hurting you, and then the one you believe to be safe lied to you time and time again, led you on. And it's it's truly leading a lion to this beautiful amount of meat, very red, very juicy, and then just saying, you can't have any of it, though. Yeah, it was like, it was like uh, every time I got to a place where I thought things were going to be okay, the rug mm-hmm. was, like, pulled up from underneath mm-hmm. me. Wow. Yeah. That was... That was so tough. I'm guessing um, after that, did you... I went into a nervous breakdown, I think. Mm. Now, I went through this period of time for three weeks, and I know it's three weeks because I checked with my mom after mm. the fact. Yeah. But I would go to work and act like a normal person. Mm. Didn't tell anybody at work what was going on. I never was really a person that told a lot of personal things at work. Mm. And I'd come home, and I'd sit in a rocking chair, and I would rock, and I'd put my clock there. Mm. And when the clock would go off, I'd go up, take a shower, and go to work. Yeah. Come home and sit and rock in this rocking chair. And I guess during this time, my mother was calling because we would talk like weekly. Yeah. And every time she would call, I didn't answer the phone. I didn't cook. I didn't do anything. But take a shower in the morning, go to work, come back and sit in the chair. Yeah. For weeks, three weeks. And I was just trying to like... What just happened? Yeah. You know, just trying to understand, trying to, you know, mm. and had all these emotions and anger and just just so upset. And one day my husband came home from work and I was rocking in my rocking chair and he got right up into my face and he said to me, he said, are you ever going to cook, clean or do the laundry again? Or are mm. you going to sit in this chair the rest of your life? Mm-mm. And something snapped. Mm. When he said that, and I go, no, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to. I said, I'm getting a divorce. Mm-hmm. 
So he pulled away and went upstairs because figured he'd better not go into this thing. And then I went and I got a lawyer the next day. And I said, I'm getting a divorce. This ain't happening. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And um, went to the to get the divorce and everything and decided I was going to move back to New York. Yeah. To be with my family. Yeah. And gave my notice at work, rented a truck. Mm-hmm. The other day I was packing my stuff to leave. He convinced, and, and now in the back of my mind, okay, I'm going to have to tell my father I'm getting a divorce. You know, my mother, and I'm already telling my mother, I think I'm getting a divorce, and she's telling me, no, you can't do that. You're going to go to hell, and you can't have a divorce, and all this mm-hmm. other stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm going, I don't know how I'm going to tell my father that. And um, he's saying, well, I think we can work this out. I think we can do this. You know, let me go with you to New York. We don't have to live in the same place, but let me go to New York with you. So we packed the truck and we go to New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we got a, he got a job. I got a job. I had gotten a job over the phone. And we um, get back to New York and my heart wasn't in it. Mm. I couldn't do it. I yeah. couldn't serve him. I couldn't be a wife to him. No, you grew to resent him. I hated him. Mm-hmm. It wasn't even resent. I hated him. Mm-hmm. And then one day we had this fight. We were laying in bed and he said something about the, the boy. Mm-mm. Nope. And nope. the Mm-mm. next thing I knew, people say you see red when you're angry enough to murder yeah. someone. I saw red. Mm. And the next thing I knew, I, he was six foot five and I'm not that tall. Wow. And I wasn't, I was small then. So he... Do you remember what he said? I don't. Mm, Only something about the, about the son. About mm, the son. Mm. And whatever it was, it was very hurtful. Yeah. And I had him backed up against the wall, and I was just flailing away with my fist at his chest. Yeah. And I knew that if I had a gun in the house or a knife or whatever, I could have killed him. Mm. So it scared me. Yeah. Because I said, you know, I lost. I don't even know how we got up against the wall. I don't know how we got out of bed. Yeah. I don't know what happened. I lost a whole section of time because mm. I was so incredibly angry. Yeah. And I said, you know what? He's going to say something and I'm going to kill him one day. Yeah. I said, you got to leave or you're going to kill him because he's stupid. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he oh don't, he's goodness. stupid yeah. and you're going to kill yeah. him because there was so much anger and so much hate in my heart for him. Yeah. And so I did. I filed for divorce mm. and left him. You know, we went through the whole pro- all that process and stuff, and um, went through the divorce. My father was, you know, told me he was going to disown me and that I was doing a wrong thing, and yeah. it, it tore that part, oh, tore my family apart for a while. And I said, well, you know, I got to do what I got to do. You do what you got to do. Yeah. But I can't do this. Yeah. And um, so after that. I tried to file a divorce in New York, mm-hmm. and you had to have... New York was very antiquated with divorce, if you can believe that. Yeah. Back then, you had to have adultery was the only thing that you could use for that. But I found out yeah. that when we lived in Ohio, you could have what you call a disillusionment. So I moved back to Ohio, mm. established my residency again, and then it kept him because he was stalking me, he was calling me, he was at mm. my work. Yeah. Um, begging me to come back and all this other stuff, having his parents call me. The pursuit came back, but in a in a whole different negative right. way. Mm. And so when I moved back to Ohio, I I started a relationship with somebody else, and but was not going to get married. 
Mm. And um, just live, we just lived together. And again, started to trust that person. Yeah. And um, went through the divorce with him and um, just decided I wasn't going to get married, just live with somebody. Mm. What's the point? I didn't have God in my life. Mm. Actually, I was very mad at God because I had prayed that he would change my husband's heart and he didn't. So yeah. I was really angry at God for that. Really yeah. angry at everything that had happened, and again began this journey of he hates me. Mm. He was punishing me, and he wants to punish me. Mm. And that's all he does all day. Was trying to figure out how is he going to pull the rug out for me again? How much pain can I possibly continue to go through? Mm -hmm. So that entered into a period of being mentally ill. Mm. <laughs> I started being very depressed all the time, mm. and again now I'm back to trying to kill myself again. Mm. Only now I'm older and wiser yeah. and have better methods of doing things. Yeah. Um, so my friend convinced me to go to a therapist and I started going to a therapist and, you know, talking about, I didn't really want to talk. I didn't grow up talking about emotions. My father was the type of person you didn't talk about emotions. You didn't talk about feelings. Yeah. You know, he didn't want to hear it. So I didn't. Doing this was not working for me, but then they decided that I needed to be put on medication. So they started me on different types of medication. They didn't, and then this medication had this side effect, so you had to have this other medication. Up to now, I'm when Ballard left, I was 28. Now I'm 38, and I've mm. taken. Um, I'm on psychotropic drugs, 18 psychotropic drugs a day. They said mm. that I had bipolar. Mm. Um, yeah. That I had. Um, chronic depression, severe chronic depression. They tried to stick schizophrenia on me because I said to them one day, I says, like, I've got a good person on this shoulder and a bad person on this shoulder. Mm. They're both talking to my ear and they're saying, one's telling me bad things, the other one's telling me good things. Yeah, yeah. And I believe now that, that in the spiritual realm that was happening, there was a fight between God and with Satan yeah. Yeah. over my soul. Oh, yeah. You know, Absolutely. and I and and but they couldn't make that diagnosis stick. But they had a couple other ones that they threw on me. But yeah. now labels, I'm taking just a bunch of labels. Yeah, a bunch of labels that yeah. this is why this is happening. And yeah. you're never going to be able to live a quality life without this medication. Yeah. I go well. It's not a quality life because it just numbs everything. Yeah. You know, I had no feelings, no emotions. I started to get tardive dyskinesia, mm. and. Um, then I, when I found out what that was, I got really mad at the doctor and go, well, we're better than killing yourself. You know, you got to live with these side effects. And I go, oh, mm -hmm. I'm taking no pill for that. You know, so then I started coming off the pills and going back on the pills and then going in the hospital because I felt like I was killing myself. So I went through this yeah. horrible cycle for 10 years from 38 to 48. Just this horrible cycle back and forth, back and forth in the hospital trying to make a plan that's going to work. Yeah. All uh, while still just not having it with God either. No. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so I got a job and I was working in mental health retardation um, agency taking care of people who had disabilities. Mm. And also God, and I was just in my home, I would just stay in my room and I would just isolate myself. Yeah. Wouldn't participate, didn't shower most of the time, only when I went to work, yeah. you know, and that kind of stuff. But God used pets to begin with, to get me out of myself. So mm. I, the person I was living with had pets. So I started to see, care about the pets. He was starting to bring some emotion back into my life because mm. I was caring for something. 
and that nurturing that was so inside of me was being helped, you know. Mm. And then when I got the job taking care of people, I was good at it. Mm. And I was nurturing, and they loved it, and they loved me, and I was getting a lot of good feedback from it. Yeah. And so this one day, you know, but I realized I was in this such a dark, I've always felt like I was in this dark, deep tunnel, mm. this total darkness, yeah. and never really understood, you know, I just figured this was something that God was doing to me, and um, so I, I go to the, I go to work, and I worked in this group home, and one of the jobs, we, I worked on Sundays, and one of the jobs was, we did a 12-hour shift, and you had to take the clients to church, and we took turns taking the people to church. Mm-hmm. Well, I I didn't want to go to church. Yeah. And I never had a turn to go to church because every time it was my turn to go to church, they would float me to another house. Yeah. So I never took it the people to the church. But there was a lady that worked with us, her name was Prudence. Yeah. And she made our life hell mm. when it was her turn to take the people to church all day for a twelve hour shift. Well I already had hell at home. I didn't need to have hell at work. Yeah. So I'm saying so I start arguing with the supervisor, said, let me take them to church. Yeah. And she goes, no, it's not your turn. I said, I never had a turn. Yeah. I said, and she's going to make her life miserable. And, and I was arguing about taking the people to church. So finally she says, okay, take the people to church. And then I stood there and I go, what the heck did I do? Why did I do that? Yeah. You know? And um, so, I said, so then I got this scenario that I was going to get the people in church and God was going to punish all the people in the church. He was going to throw all the bricks of the church down on everybody and kill them. Oh, wow. I had a vision like that. And I'm going... Whoa! Yeah, <laughs> you know, but I was very prideful, and I had made such a big issue about taking the people to church. <laughs> I couldn't get out of it. Now I've got to do it. Got to do, do it, it now. You got to do it. You know. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Well, maybe he won't kill all the people. Maybe he'll just collapse the building, and everybody will be okay." Yeah. <laughs> you know, you start all these scenarios yeah. in your head. So I go there, and we go in this little tiny country church. Mm. And it actually had kneelers in it. It was a, oh, a wow. it was a like a Catholic church, yeah. but it had uh, it was called the Reformed Church mm. of America. And we go into the church, and of course, you see the kneelers, you see people praying. I wasn't stupid; I grew up praying, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so, so you recognize. Yeah, so yeah. I'm, I so I kneel down like everybody yeah. else is doing, and kind of like praying, you know. And yeah. I'm, and so I said, "Well, God," I said, "They say you're a God of prayer." I said, so if you are, I said, listen to this one. Mm. I said, if you look down in my life lately, I mm. said, I live in this deep, dark tunnel. There's no light here at all. Mm. And they say, you're the God of light. Mm-hmm. I said, so how about just flicking your back? Mm-hmm. I said, and show me how to get out of this tunnel and I'll follow you the rest of my life. Yeah. And I meant it because I was at such a desperate state in yeah. my life. Yeah. We got to your rope's end. And the pastor of this church was a woman. Mm. And she got up there, you know, and they go through their very similar liturgy that a Catholic church has. Yeah. But when she went up to do her sermon, she had it all written up and typed up. And then she, like, started it. And she's, no, I have to do something different. I have to follow what the Holy Spirit's telling me. Mm. And she started to give... Uh, um, a sermon about her own life, a testimony of her life. Mm. And it had to do with domestic violence. Mm. 
And I was living in a domestic violence situation mm. at this point. Yeah. Because I didn't care about myself and I didn't think anybody else cared. So this is what I deserve. Yeah. Kind of. And she went through her whole testimony and, and actually gave um, places you could go to be counseled and that kind mm. of stuff. And that's not what God wants for you. I go, wow, you suppose that's what's going on? You suppose that what the, what's part of this problem is, you know? And I just kind of thought about it. You know, but when I left that church that day, again, that switch came on. Mm. And what happened was my circumstances didn't change, but I started talking to God like I did real, raw mm. and real, yeah. giving him my emotions, giving him the way I was feeling about stuff and how was I going to get out of this entrapment because now I was with a person who was mentally ill themselves. Mm. Yeah. And very dangerous and i found out that the last person that lived with them mm. tried to kill herself by jumping off a 10-story building and did oh dear mm. so this person was using a lot of emotional psychological yeah stuff and mm. was very good at it yeah and everything pointed back to you which i was willing to accept at the time yeah. because that's my self-esteem was not where it should be yeah and I was afraid to leave because at first it was a threat towards uh, me. Mm. I would be killed. Mm -hmm. And then when that didn't work anymore, my family was going to be killed. Yeah. And then when that didn't work anymore, other people were going to be killed in front of me. Mm. Now, I believe this person was capable of murder mm. because one of the things that happened to me was one day when they decided they were going to kill themselves, I took the car keys and I ran with them because they were going to take the car and run it in and kill themselves. Mm -hmm. I take the car keys and now I've got this person, mad person chasing me through the house and I ended up in the garage by a garage door and I couldn't get the garage door open. Mm. And grabbed, they grabbed the sledgehammer, mm. pulled it over their head and was going to come down. And I was crouched down in a fetal position practically by then, mm -hmm. just waiting for the hammer to hit my head. And I said the word, Jesus, help me. Mm. Wow. And when I said that, the hammer went to the side and hit a gas can. And wow. we were in a garage with a car. Yeah. And I thought, oh, it's going to explode. And it didn't explode. And the hammer got dropped. They walked away. Wow. And Chills. Said, Kills. And I'm going, what Ooh. happened to this? Jesus. I just said, Jesus, help me. And, mm. and like it was like this person was so mentally ill that they didn't even, never talked about that situation or anything ever again. Wow. And I'm saying, wow, you know, what is this about? You know? Yeah. It piqued, it piqued your curiosity, too, because just by but I didn't. I didn't name. really put, put it all together. Mm. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. I felt like he helped me. Yeah. I said, I don't know how you did that, but I... I'm thankful that you did. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so then things progressively got worse and escalated from that point. Mm -hmm. And so I decided I have to kill myself mm -hmm. again. We're back to that. And I got a great plan. I, you know, and I called my friend who lived in Virginia at the time, and she had lived with me for a short period of time when she was going through domestic violence. And she said to me, I don't know how you do it. I was beaten physically, she said, but you were beaten emotionally and psychologically every single day of your life. Yeah. And <clears throat> she said, you need to go to that place that you told me that that pastor told you about. Mm. Wow. And um, 
So she made me promise on the phone that I wouldn't do anything that night to go to this this place, the domestic violence place. So I did the next morning and I got there too early. It wasn't open yet. And then I was going up and down the street trying to, I'd park and then I'd go away and then I'd park and then I'd go away. Yeah. Cause I didn't know if this was the right thing to do. But finally I just parked the car and went in. And when I went in, I hadn't slept the night before, hadn't showered, hadn't combed my hair, hadn't done anything. Yeah. I just cried all night. Wow. And um, went in there, I looked horrible. Mm. And I told him I needed to talk to a domestic violence counselor. And she said, well, she's not in yet, but she'll be here shortly. If you sit here, I'll give you a cup of coffee. And I go, oh, I can't sit here. She goes, yeah, you can. She says, I'll, I'll come and sit with you and I'll have some coffee with you. It'll, mm. it'll be okay. Please wait. And wow. she really encouraged me to stay. I want to talk yeah. to the counselor. To count, and I had left a note at the house that I was going to get groceries. Mm. And... Now I'm gone a long time. Yeah. Right. So I go and I tell her my story and everything. Now we're talking about I left the house at six in the morning and now we're now it's like eleven o'clock almost noon. Hmm. And she said, You have to leave there and you have to leave there now. Yeah. I can't. I said, I got I got animals, I got I don't have anything with me. I didn't pack a bag. She says, You cannot go there. Yeah. We've got a shelter, we've got a bed open, you need to go into the shelter because you're in extreme danger. This person's either gonna kill you. Yeah. Or you're going to kill them. Yeah. It's not working. Mm. And so I did it. I went into the shelter, left everything behind. And that was a, quite a process going mm. through all that and going through a legal thing because we had owned property together mm. and a business together. So all that had to be sorted out. It took about 18 months to go through all that. I was brought up on false charges. I was hauled to the um, station with the... Um, state troopers on mm. false charges, but the people with domestic violence, they did support me really well. Wow. And they started me in counseling for domestic violence, and through that, the Lord opened up a door for me to change my psychiatrist and to change my therapist into mm. a Christian therapist and psychiatrist. Wow. wow. Um, I called, when I went into the shelter, I called this pastor back. Yeah. And I said, I just want to tell you what happened. I was in your church um, back last August. She said, I remember you. She said, uh, do you know that day that I gave my testimony in church? She said, there was four women who had never been in that church before. All four women listened to that sermon and came out of a domestic violence situation because wow. of the testimony that God gave Wow, her. that's amazing. I go, wow, you know, she's, could you come and have lunch with me? And I go, well, I said, uh, we can't go in. I don't want to get close to where I used to live. So we picked a place that we could go. And they had moved me out into another town. And um, so we had lunch. And over lunch, because she was a pastor, I thought you confessed like you do to a priest. Mm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> over yeah. a Wendy's hamburger. I <laughs> <laughs> confessed all my sins to this poor woman Aww. for hours on end it seemed like and wow. she said finally she reached across the table and she grabbed put one hand on one shoulder and one on the other and she pulled me close to her and she goes Shirley she said are you done and I go I think so should there be more <laughs> she goes no <laughs> she goes but I just want to tell you something I said what she goes God loves you and he's got a plan for your life Mm, wow. And I said, wow. Joyce, I said, 
did you not listen to anything I said? <laughs> God hates me. He don't love me. Mm. He hates me. Mm. He tries to torture me. He's done all these things to me. Mm. She goes, no, you got the wrong person. Mm-hmm. He yeah. loves you. He has a plan for your life. And if you come to our church, we'll prove it to you in the word of God. I said, can't go to your church. Too close to where I used to live. Mm. And I'm told that if I'm with people, there's a threat on their life. Their gun will come in and you will be dead. Mm. She goes, let me tell you how my God is. Mm. She goes, anybody that comes through this door is going to be saved. Wow. So wow. come. So I did. Wow. And they put me with these little old women. I love And they that. answered every question that I ever had about God and took me in the Bible studies with them and, and just all the crazy things that you have in your mind when you don't really know who God is mm. or what God is about. Mm. And um, I accepted Jesus, but I had a really hard time that he could forgive my sins. Yeah. In the meantime, my parents are being blackmailed by this other person about secrets that I had told. Uh, and my father's telling me I need to go back into uh, that situation. Uh, and he uh, didn't uh, like it that I wasn't back in the Catholic Church. So he's telling me now that I have to give up my Christian counselors, give up my the church that I feel comfortable in for the first time in my life, and go back into the situation that I know I can't live in. Yeah. So he disowned me again. Mm. So we have a part where we're apart again. Yeah. And But that was okay because I had a family around me now. You were loved. I was loved for the first time. Mm-hmm. For me. Not only loved, but supported and believed. Yes. Amazing. You know? And so I wasn't going to let go of that for nobody, no how, no way. Mm. That wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And um, so I you know, went through that process, and I started counseling with her husband. He did the counseling for the church. Yeah. And he answered all my questions, and we talked a lot about God and stuff. And I was so messed up at that time. And on so many psychotropic drugs, you have all kinds of weird ideas. You know, yeah. like one day I woke up and said, I think I need to, you know, take a shower. And I didn't want to get out of the shower because I felt so dirty. And then I felt like I should go to their house naked. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you have all these weird things come to your mind. Yeah. That if you were under your right mind, you wouldn't even go there. You yeah. Know? But I didn't do that. But I did go to their house and told yeah. them, you know, what I was feeling and how I was feeling. And we talked through all that stuff. And um, in the meantime, my medication was being cut down by the doctors because yeah. I said, I, I think a lot of this problem is coming from the medication itself. Yeah. It's yeah. not really helping me. Mm-hmm. And keep adding all these other stuff doesn't seem to be helping. Mm. So... They were working with me to come off the medication. So I had my Christian counselor, I had my pastor's husband, and I had the psychiatrist all working wow. to try to get me to work through these hurts wow. and to start to forgive. Mm-hmm. You know, he was trying to teach me to forgive and the power of forgiveness of uh, setting myself free, not for yeah. the other person. Yeah. And wow. so as God was working in that, but I, I still couldn't believe that Jesus could forgive me. Wow. Mm. It was so difficult to understand that he could forgive me. Mm. And finally, after 18 months, I don't know if that was because I was coming off some of the medication, was getting more in my right mind, Mm. or just the fact of so much word being given to me all the time, and so much understanding and so much love. Acceptance. I really like what you said earlier, what the pastor said to you. Okay, like everything that you're saying, like wanting to believe, like 
you know, Jesus forgiving me, like all of these things that I've had done to me and the things that I've done out of outrage and anger, understandably. Um, But when she said, you're looking at the wrong one, I've always, I think uh, when my eyes were a little more opened to we, uh, of course, you know, blame God because you're supposed to be in control here. You're supposed to be all knowing, all powerful, yet these things are happening to me, make it make sense. And um, I started thinking about, well, there's a positive and a negative here. There's a hero and an enemy. And of course, God fights for us, but it also, there's this enemy that is just tearing us down. And God is a God of consent and love and permission. And so while you're going through all of this and you're you're keeping God at an arm's length, the enemy's like, well, she's not keeping me at arm's length because she doesn't even know to keep me at arm's length. She's not thinking about me. She's blaming everything on God. So let's keep her hating and despising God. And even on your walk with the Lord, like even while you're beginning to go to church and and seek God more. The enemy is trying to hold on to, okay, well, Jesus isn't going to forgive you. You know, he can forgive her, but she didn't do what you did. He can forgive him, but it's not to the extent like you still haven't said everything. What about that one thing? And so the enemy will even try to convince you that like that sacrifice on the cross, there's a limit on it. Mm -hmm. There's only so much that it will forgive. Like there's still some things that Jesus is just like, eh, okay. And when you realize that like God is a a forgiving and loving God and not a condemning God, that's, that's you, there's power because the enemy shows his hand whenever, even myself, when I'm starting to feel very guilt or oh I haven't spent enough time in the word or I haven't prayed or but my heart like one of the things that God will always remind me of is like but I look at your heart not your actions and I look at your love for me and your intentionality with me so if your five minutes with me are extremely more intentional than your hour with me with me then I want that I want every five minutes that you can give me intentionally than that hour and you know, again, I grew up as a Catholic. So that guilt, that heaviness that you're brought up. And again, like you were given the examples of my father didn't believe me. It was my fault. What was I doing? You know, and I'm supposed to go back to this domestic abuse. I can't, you know, I can't leave my husband and get a divorce because I'm going to go to hell. And you have all of these beliefs that has been rooted in you and God is trying to uproot them. And again, like God moves not slowly, but intentionally what works best for us so that when you look back you can truly see it and it's amazing how you're saying like it was so hard for you to believe that Jesus could forgive you and you were mentioning like 18 months Mm -hmm. wow took me 18 months to to really believe and then it was like a light bulb moment it like happened all of a sudden I was reading the word one day and um do my daily devotion and all of a sudden something inside that little switch turned mm. again mm. and i said he really does love me mm-hmm. he really does love me and he really has forgiven me and i remember that day it was like oh this bright light that just came on and this warmth and this peace just came mm. over me mm. you know now yeah. i've been going to church for 18 months i've been you know talking with people and everything but this this was my yeah. salvation moment i, I yeah. believe yeah yeah you know a lot of people live with they did it they go to church they give their life to christ and then it, you know it didn't yeah. happen that way for me yeah. well, so you had a it's lot hope, but it's hope for yeah. people 
that that feel like there is no hope. Yeah. Because it is hope. And everyone is on such a different journey. Like I love that you I love that you brought that up because everyone is on in such a different journey and we all have such different personalities and hurt and pain and anger and lies and deceit. And so what might work for me might not work for Shirley and what worked for Shirley might not work for me because that's how intentional God is. He's like, I see you, you know, I see you, my child, and I'm going to be intentional. So when you feel my love, you know that it is my love and it is a hundred percent mine for you. And you cannot discredit it down the road because what the enemy will do is like, well, did you really feel his love? Did you truly? And so I think that's beautiful because there is hope. There is hope. And even with the podcast, you know, one of the main things that I think about when I am, even in the shower, like I'm like scrub-a-dub and I'm thinking about the podcast, I think about how the podcast is a place for people who are yet uncomfortable to go into a church where that is a huge step. Just even going back to church is a very big step. It's a big place. It's very intimidating. It's very scary. Even for me, when I was looking for a church and I was being intentional in finding a church, I was like, I want to find a church. I want to. But I just remember the fear of stepping into a church of like, oh gosh, like what if this is not the place? What if they don't like me? What if this or that? Or what if just all of the fear? And again, like the enemy will try to keep you away from the church as much as you can. But with the podcast, it's it's a hope that like by with the testimonies of others to still be able to bring the gospel to you and and modern gospel too. You know, the Bible is incredible, but also being able to hear in modern times and modern situations and past situations how God can work and still get word from God and still get all of that information and and um, being fed some of that and and feel like, okay, like I can't step into a church, but I can't hit play in my car while I'm driving to work or on this, you know, road trip and still feel like I'm curious about God. I just, you know, and everyone has such a different story. You know, there are people who, you know, hated God. There are people who grew up loving God. There are people who grew up in a really well-rooted Christian household and other people who it came up a little bit later. And, but the hope is to simply say like, there is no mold to fit. There is no, once you get it together, you'll fit in this mold and then you'll be accepted into the kingdom of God. No, like it's, it's much more simpler than that. And again, with the podcast is simply to allow people to listen and say, okay, I can't go into a church, but again, I can hit play. I can listen to these stories and I can really relate to this person. And if that person can find a relationship with God and if that person can find forgiveness or feel and experience the love of God, you know, just getting it closer and making it more manageable because you are absolutely right absolutely right god will work it in that kind of way and it's what worked best for you because you had a lot that you were dealing with you know you had a lot of pain a lot of hurt and to trust and believe that this god that you're you're walking with now isn't going to hurt you is going to love you isn't going to throw back to like throw in your face all that you've experienced and have dealt with like you're actually happy. Yeah, I think it's the fact of having a second chance Mm -hmm. in life. You know, it gives us the promise of a new beginning. Yeah. And that new beginning is what I thought, could that even be possible? That you could have a new beginning, that you could have a new life. Yeah, yeah. He totally changed my life from that point on to today that, you know, I'm the woman of God that he created and, and I just love him. Yeah. You know, and I can love others. Yeah. 
And now I'm even learning how to love myself. Yeah. And that's so. beautiful. And so what would you say, looking back where you are now, Shirley, now that you can look back, what would you say God has done with your pain? Um, I went through several deliverances, several courses, yeah. uh, healing of the heart. Um, a lot of it, incur- it t- took place uh, to, but basically it's forgiving other people. Mm. And I had so many other people that I had to forgive. And even in freedom, I was so shocked because when the two people stood up there and one was portraying a woman in your life and the other one was portraying that a man. That made me cry. I, I was I was like, I lost it there. And immediately I knew that I had to forgive my mother. Hmm. And I didn't realize that I had to forgive my mother. I had forgiven my father. Hmm. But I hadn't forgiven my mother. Yeah. And something that that lady said, and I can't tell you what it was, yeah. <laughs> but I knew that I had to forgive her. And that, again, was another one of those switches Yeah, where it turned by forgiving her and releasing that. Somehow that allowed me to see myself as God sees me. Mm, beautiful. And that was a wonderful, you know, a wonderful thing. Yeah. And it's totally like changed me again. So now I'm on a, you know, he took me all through these processes of healing, forgiveness, um, layer by layer over the years. You know, I didn't come to Christ until I was 48. Mm -hmm. I'm now 71. So it's, I'm still in a process. And I think all of us are in a process. This is like a journey. Mm -hmm. It's not a sprint. It's a marathon. Yeah. And he, he, you know, first he taught me about, Jesus and I fell in love with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, um, then I learned about the Holy Spirit, and then a few years ago, I learned about a loving Father. Yeah, it didn't come to me like all at once, like it mm-hmm. does to some people. I had yeah. to like, as the process of healing goes on, mm-hmm. I was able to to like see a different aspect. Because yeah. even though I was loving Jesus and know that Jesus, what Jesus did for me, yeah. I didn't relate that to the father because I'm not. I'm kind of ignoring the father. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm yeah. afraid of the father still. He's, yeah. you know, he's understandably, you yeah. know. And um, then the Holy Spirit. I just loved the Holy Spirit and how He was guiding me and directing. And He talks, you know, talks to my heart and he even talked to me audibly once. And it was like mm. amazing. Wow. And um, so I learned about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. I went away mm. to. Uh, I took several Bible courses and went to ministry school was ordained and um, just loved the Lord wow I just love the Lord that's amazing and um, but there's it's a process of healing layer Mm -hmm. by layer he's patient Mm -hmm. he guides you he directs you he puts you in spots and I went to different churches and got different things at different places that I've been at he always maximizes wherever I'm at yeah and um so I finally learned maybe about 10 years ago that the Father loved me. And that was another one of those pivotal times in my life where I mm. really believed that he loved me now. Yeah. And they had my best interest for me. So I asked him, I said, where were you when all this pain was going on? Mm-hmm. And he actually took me back to different scenarios in my life. And he says, I was here and this could have happened to you, but it didn't. And this could have happened to you, but it didn't. Wow. You know, yeah, that's amazing. And I think it's also and my love was here, and my love was for this person, you know, and it was like it was yeah. like wow. 
And that like, whoa, that like shook me to my core, you know, Mm -hmm. because all those beliefs just fell to the floor that I had before. Wow. That, that truly is amazing. And to be able to get brought back to a time when you were so angry at him and felt alone that he could show you, I was there. You might've not have felt me there, but I was there nonetheless. And it's, um, it's also just so important, like you said, God will place us in situations or even when you do become a believer, even though when you fall in love with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, it, it we are never called to have the perfect life of comfort. You know, a lot of there's this belief that like, you know, once you believe God, you'll, everything will be fall into place. And that's not quite it no. at all. <laughs> that's not right at all. You are faced with <laughs> so many difficulties, but the difference is because you're still in a fallen world, you still are in the same world you were in before, but the difference is you have the kingdom of God now. And so you're not alone in it. And when you do face these circumstances or these situations, you can fully throw yourself in knowing that God is there with you and you can seek him while you're going through everything and you can be guided by the Holy Spirit, Mm -hmm. you know, versus a a very difficult situation at work, you could lash out in anger or the Holy Spirit could guide you and say, it's not even about you. Mm -hmm. You didn't even do anything wrong. This person is experiencing something else and you just have to be patient. And that was deep rooted in me that anytime anything went wrong, it was my fault too. But like I said, that all changed last year. So. Yeah. And that's amazing. Like God, God, God works and he does so much with our pain because I mean, at least for myself, like if I hadn't experienced the things that I experienced, I don't think that I would be the person that I am today. And I don't think that my love for God would be so deep as it is because it's truly made me appreciate a life without him and a life with him. Yes. Because it's I know totally different. it's, it's totally black and different. white. It's black and black white. And, dark and light. Yeah. Like dark it's, a life without him is kind of meaningless you you have your wandering you you think that you're happy but there are short bursts of joy that you're experiencing worldly things whether it's a hit of dopamine because you bought something or you had a night out or you met someone that made you laugh or something like that but then that dies you know like Mm -hmm. people can and will fail you and when you discover god and his love it's like this never-ending like joy and peace that you receive and even on your most difficult days you know that you can just lean on him and not lean on yourself lean on him with no understanding and just know that he has you but versus back when I didn't have him I just my life was so dark and bleak like I just tunnel you know you're walking in just this dark place because you're walking dead because you are dead yeah you 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 there is no um living water there is no like just warmth you're just like you want to believe that you're happy you can convince yourself that all of the materialistic things all the achievements that you have all the number in your bank account is what gonna what's gonna fulfill you but you're always gonna be striding for more versus when you when you come into a relationship with God and you look back and you see all that he's done with your pain and how he's grown you from it and no amount of money no amount of um, property or nice house, nice car, nothing will bring you the joy that he can bring you. It's the peace that you find. Um, but again, like hardship is still going to come. The difference is that you have this light with you now that will shine on it. Well, I recently heard this guy talk about um, we have two choices. And God has really done a lot with me with choice. And he said, there's... 
always a choice, just like in the Garden of Eden, there was always a choice. And he created us, and he honors choice. That's why we have to honor choice with other people, is the way he explained it to me. I honor choice, and you have to honor choice if you're going to follow me. And that's difficult at times. Yeah. Especially if you really care about somebody else and you see them going down a wrong path, you want to protect them, you know. But um, this thing about choice is like I lived my life before Christ. You look, if you look at two circles, I forget who who I can't give you the the person's name who who said this, but I heard it. Um, you have a choice to be in this despair circle. Mm. Okay, and if you look at the despair circle, like a clock, okay, the top of the clock where the 12 is, is fear. Mm. If you meditate on that fear, you go to three o'clock. At three o'clock, that's anxiety. And then if you get to anxiety and you meditate on that anxiety and the fear together, Mm. then you tend, you go to six. And at six is um, poor choices. Mm-hmm. You make poor choices because of the fear and the anxiety. Yeah. And you're trying to get out of that by yourself. Yeah. And then the nine, at the nine, is poor outcomes for, for every decision that you make. Yeah. See, I look at my life before Christ as that way. Yeah. Okay? And the more, and the Bible does say, the more you sow a seed to something, the more you get. So the more you focus on the fear, the more you focus on the anxiety, um, the more bad choices you make, the more mistakes you make, then you just focus on that. And it's a cycle, and it's a downward spiraling cycle. Yeah. And it's coming from the enemy. Yeah. He's constantly trying to convince you that you're not who you are. Yeah. You know. Then on the other hand, the other circle is the circle of abundant life. Mm. And at the 12 is gratitude. Gratitude for what he's done for me. And gratitude is our connecting point to God. Mm. When we become grateful for everything that he's done for us and and we understand what he's done for us, nobody can take that away from you. And the more you stay in that grateful mode, then you move on to three, yeah. which is peace, which everybody desires peace but don't know how to get it. And, they, and if they do get peace, like you said, it fades away. Mm-hmm. But not if you're in gratitude with him mm-hmm. and then you learn to enter into his peace and his rest no matter what's going on mm-hmm. around you and you're anchored in him, yeah. tethered to him, yeah. like we spoke about before. Yeah. Then number six when it goes down to six, now you're making wise choices because you're doing it because of him, mm-hmm. your relationship with him, yeah. your peace in him. Yeah. And then you go to nine and you got positive outcomes yeah. and abundant life. Yeah. I can't stress how many times when I weigh my options, it's always how can I honor God in this moment in a way that reflects him and not me and causes people's curiosity to peak too. You know, like I'm, you know, especially like slow to anger or no, yes, slow to anger, quick to listen, slow to anger. Um, You know, quickly just listening what's going on and then 
slowly reacting because like you said, like positive outcomes and just people looking at you and saying like, okay, well, she's a believer, but she's not hateful or angry and is never judgmental. And that's because the God that I serve is not judgmental. That's because he's so loving and forgiving. And I, I take so much pride in like being in that circle and being so grateful and finding that peace. And even when things around me make absolutely no sense, no sense. And, you know, it's a very hard thing to be faithful to a God that although you cannot see and you cannot touch, you continue to worship and and love and invite into your life. So even though nothing else makes sense, you continue to believe and love him and make sense of your relationship with him and grow closer to him. And the feeling and, and, and the peace that comes with that is everlasting. And so then you're able to help other people find it because the, the curiosity piece of like, how, how do you remain so at peace in, in the chaos that is your life right now? You know, like how, how are you going through everything you're going through, but you seem fine. And it's like, don't get me wrong. I'm still human. I still feel everything that I feel, but the difference is the old me would have been trying to take control, mm-hmm. would have wanted to have, every, I got to figure it out. I got to do this. I've got to do that. But what God causes us to do is be still and know. Yeah. Be still and know that I am God. Mm-hmm. Just like Jesus said in the storm of the boat, like peace, be still and just ride it out. There is nothing that you need to do, but delight in me and I will provide. And it's not that God is a genie, but God, God knows what you need. And when you come to him, not because you need, 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 but because you enjoy that peace and love with him and you, you want to grow closer to him because it's, 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 it wouldn't be fair to you, Shirley, if, you know, I don't know you, I don't have a relationship with you. I know you from church. I'm like, oh yeah, that's Shirley. And then I, you know, church ended and I get in your car and you're going to look at me like, what are you doing in my car? And I'm going to be like, oh, I, you're going to take me home, right? I need a ride. And you're like, well, I know you need a ride, but I, I don't know you. Versus if I'm like, oh my gosh, Shirley, how are you? It's such a pleasure to see you again. Hey, I need a ride. Is it okay? And before I'm even done, like you're like, oh, absolutely. I will drive you home. There's a difference because of the intentionality and I'm coming to you and you know my need and you're happy to see me because when you've seen me in the past, it wasn't because I needed something. It was because our relationship was important to me. And so the same thing it's like there's that peace knowing that when I walk up to Shirley I have that relationship with her and even if I didn't like when I first met you I was like I want to get to know her and that started a domino effect Mm -hmm. and yeah so but like when you want to have control and you want to put all this pressure on yourself you want to grab the weight you see the weight and you're wanting to pick it up yourself you want to have control over that and um you want to pick yourself apart and not believe that there's a God out there that loves you because all of these bad things have happened and all of these things. And it's, yeah, so it's so good. Like the circle that you reside in and how you decide to look at things and how you decide to carry on and what you decide to meditate on. Because meditation is simply thinking on something over and over and over again. And people don't realize you can have negative faith or you can have positive faith. You can believe for the negative yeah. and it'll happen. You know, as well as the positive, and it will happen because God created us as creative beings. He created everything with His mouth, and we have that same ability. And we can choose to say what His Word says over the situation, or we say what 
we think is going to happen. Yeah, in modern times, it's called a, oh, you manifested it. But mm-hmm. in reality, you can truly manifest your situation. Mm-hmm. But that's, again, like you said, because God is a God who spoke into creation. And so we mirror that. We mirror whatever we speak, whatever we speak out, and whatever we lay. So very true. And I was glad you brought in the part about judging because one of the pivotal points of my healing process was I read this book on Stop the Pain. And it goes into depths about how we form judgments. And through that, I went back with God back into my life as a child and like all through with all these things and all these judgments and vows and things that you make. You know, I'm never going to be like that. I'm never going to do this because, you know, this hurts, you know. And all that stuff, you have to kind of let go of that, you know. And the last thing, and I stopped judging other people, but I was still judging myself. So this last little pivotal part has been about not even judging me. Because Jesus said he didn't come to judge. If he can't judge, who can judge? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? If, if, even <laughs> Jesus is like, I'm not going to judge you. Who yeah. am I? Yeah. To even judge myself. You know? Exactly. And, and who am I to judge myself or to be so critical for myself of the negativity? And, 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 and it was so amazing that in November all that stuff started lifting off of me. It was like I it, did it. I I could see things differently. It's like every time that God turns that little switch in me, and there's been a another part that's been healed, or you know, it's like a new part of me starts to emerge. It's such a great birthing process, and it goes. You know, people say, "Well, you get a new life," and you, you know, a lot of people will talk about the new man, mm-hmm. but they're not walking in the new man. Yeah. You have to walk in the new man. You have to experience. You know, your own healing, your own forgiveness of other people and yourself and of God. And it's just such a, a wonderful journey. And, you know, I haven't taken psychotropic drugs now in 22 years. And they told me that I That's would amazing. never be able to have a quality of life without them. That is amazing. You know, and it took me two years, two and a half years to come off all the medication. But they were addictive meds. Mm, so you had it. Yeah. So little by little, I was able to come off. And I tried a couple times to come off prematurely, and God said, and then it didn't work. And then I felt like a failure. And God said, no, you're not a failure. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just, it, he said, I'll let you know when it's time. Mm-hmm. And it finally came to a time where one day he said to me, you can flush the medication, you need it no more. Wow. And I was able to do that and I never looked back. Do I have times when I get depressed or I wouldn't say I'm depressed, but where I feel sad or upset about something, it's not to the level of depression that I used to have or that I was familiar with at all. But you have days that that things don't go well and you feel sad, sad, but God's given us even something for that. You know, we just have to say, no, God, I don't want to feel like this. Show me why I'm feeling like this or show me how I can change this or, you know, and just believe that he's going to when he does. It's 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 amazing. (laughs) It's also knowing the power behind actually seeking him in those moments because, you know, you can be sad and be like, okay, I feel sad. And just, again, meditate in that sadness. Uh, One thing that I've recently been discovering is when I feel sad or anxious or stressed, what I'll do is like catch myself and like, wait. I'm learning that I can give this to God. So I'll say, Lord, 
I don't know what's going on right now, but this is how I feel. I feel really stressed. I feel really tired. I feel really anxious. And I just don't feel, I don't feel it today. Can you please take this from me and replenish me, strengthen me, give me the strength today to do something else? I have found that every time after I pray that, I become productive out of nowhere. I was not planning on doing a deep clean, and then out of nowhere, I'm deep cleaning. Didn't even want to. And not because like God sent me to go do a chore, but like God gives me the energy. And then I look back and I'm like, wow, the power of just a very simple, it doesn't have to be a fancy prayer, the, fa- the power of a very simple prayer. He cares prayer. about everything about us. Everything. And he loves us, everything. you know, every minute of the day. And his love is always there. We can always go there and it's always unconditional. And he always gives us a way to get out of our mistakes or, you know, the difference between a Christian. You know, a lot of people say, well, if you're a Christian, you got to be perfect. And I can't be perfect. No, mm-hmm. it's not about being perfect. It's about realizing that you're not perfect. Yeah. But you know who to take your sins to. You take them to Jesus, you confess your sins, and then he forgives you. Yeah. And the Father doesn't even see him anymore. How yeah. great can that be? Yeah. And you're now living a new life again. Yeah. It's a constant... Renewing yeah. and living a new life and walking a new uh, it, in into the new man and and bringing it into your everyday life. It's yeah. a it's a huge huge gift from God. Yeah, and God loves you exactly how you are. You, I love that you said that. A lot of people think like, well, I need to get my act together. I need to change up my wardrobe. I can't like the things that I like. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. It's like God just wants to be a part of your life. There is nothing that you have to change about yourself. God just wants to come in. And one of my favorite things to say is. You know, like, oh, like the type of music and all this stuff. But like, you'd be surprised. There is metal gospel music out there. And it's out there for the people that like, that's just the kind of music they love, metal music. But it's metal gospel music, metal gospel worshiping God, giving it, giving praise to God. And let me tell you, God loves, if you love it, God loves it. If that's your style, God's happy for you. If you're more of like a R&B, there's R&B gospel out there for you. You don't have to settle and change your entire person to meet God. God will meet you where you are because there are other people out there who were loved metal. God gave them the gift to continue loving that and worshiping him so that you have that new playlist that you can continue. Cause like nothing changes, nothing changes where you're like, again, God sees your heart. When he selected Abraham, he selected Abraham to be the father of nations because of his heart. When he selected David, you know, he said, I don't look at the, the body and the stature. I look at the heart. There's nothing that you need to do, but simply open up your heart to him. So I love that you said that because you don't have to get right or do anything right. And the most amazing thing is, is that he's wonderfully and uniquely made each of us. Mm-hmm. So we're all different. Yeah. But he loves us all with that same gracious love. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's it's like hard to even wrap your little mind around something like that, you know. But he's given us unique mm-hmm. talents in a unique way and a unique story that we can touch other people yeah. and the people that are living in that circle of despair. Yeah. To show them that they can live in the abundant life of gratitude, yeah. peace of mind, right choices. I think in nowadays societies, we try too hard to be like someone else that we see. Yes, well, because we're not secure in who we are. Yeah. And your identity it comes from Him. Yeah. And Him being in you and you being in Him. Yeah. So until you really understand that identity, and that was another part of my healing, was to understand... Mm-hmm. That I'm in him and he's in me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we're inseparable. Yeah. We can't be separated. Exactly.
Yeah. But you have to experience that. It's not a, a mind thing. It's a heart thing. And there's so much freedom in knowing that God made you uniquely you. He has a unique, specific plan for you. So it's good to kind of look at it and be like, okay, wait, let me stop. Let me not try to be whatever I see on Instagram or on TV or on posters or anything that I've seen socially. Let me let me just reflect. What do I love? What did God give me that I find absolute joy in? And let me make that, you know, my character, my person. Let me hyphen that a little bit more. Like, let me highlight that a little bit more. And I love this. I love this. I love this. That's who I am. And why, why do I want to seem like a photocopy of somebody else? You know, the what is correct in society or what, what is acceptable, but instead completely shift and say, no, but this is what I love. And that's what God placed in my heart. Some people love music and can hear it and immediately pick up the notes and everything. Other people art. Other people find beauty in just in cleaning. Like they, that's what they love. They love cleaning. They love helping other people clean. Some people are more, no, I, I love to go out. I'm very last minute, but that's who God made you to be specifically. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so just don't feel bad because you're more of an introvert and you recharge at home. That's how God made you. You're more of an extrovert. You look, recharge when you're out in character. It's absolutely okay. And there's no fault behind it. It's perfection that... God made us the way that we are. And so once we start to fall in love with ourselves, mm-hmm. we're like, oh, wow, you find so much peace. But I think it, I think even at 71 years old that I am now, I'm just learning. I'm just touching the tip work of who God really has created me to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's so wonderful because I'm like, I'm thinking, oh, I don't even know I like that kind of thing. I remember going, when I was going to the therapist one day, she asked me, um, she said, you know, what do you like to do or what do you want to do? And I go, I don't really care. I just do whatever happens then. Yeah. I don't want to have expectations or anything like that on there. I don't want to. Mm-hmm. But now it's like I have to lead an intentional life. Yeah. You know, everything I do has an intention to it. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. now I'm, I'm learning and discovering about me yeah. for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. You know, and what do you like? You know, she, she gave me a task to do something for myself mm-hmm. three weeks in a row that didn't have any connection to any other person. Mm-hmm. And each time I came back, I said, I can't do it. Mm-hmm. I can't do it. Finally, she says, you have to do it. Yeah. And it was just so difficult just to do something for myself because if in a subconsciously, if you're feeling guilt or shame or hate, mm-hmm. It's very difficult to do something for yourself. Yeah. And you and eventually you shut all those things down because you don't have expectations, you don't have anything about yeah. that. And that that part of my life laid so dormant before Christ that I'm still exploring. I'm like a kid. I'm like a kid in a candy store. Mm-hmm. People say to me, "You look younger." And I go, I am. I feel like I am because I feel like my life began at 48. So I'm yeah. still like, in my, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm still in my early 30s yeah. right now. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. and it's exciting. People say, well, you know, you, you're getting older. You need to be sitting home. You need not to be doing. No, yeah. I mean, I'm in my most exciting time of my life. Why would I want to sit home and be isolated? I did that already. Yeah. It didn't work. Not for me. Did it? <laughs> Did it done it? Wore out the t-shirt. 
<laughs> I love that. I really do. And Shirley, like I can't, I can't thank you enough for taking the time oh, to I sit down with it. me. I loved every minute. Oh, oh good. I'm so glad. I, I have truly been blessed to sit here with you today and, and get to talk to you and listen to your testimony and all that God has done in you and through you. And I just, I'm excited to continue to see all that you continue to discover about yourself on this self-loving journey that you're on. Definitely different. Yeah, I know, but it's a good difference, right? I am so excited. I am so excited. Well, all right. I thank you, everyone who got the time to sit down and listen. This is a long one, and those are the best ones for me. Or like the longer, the better, because we really dig in. Um, and yeah, so I am just so grateful for you, Shirley, and I'm grateful for all the listeners here. If if you know anyone who is in a situation similar to the one that Shirley has had in the past, and you think that this podcast episode would really help them, you know, even if you can find the time stamp so they don't have to listen to the whole thing, just like the five minutes, 10 minutes, if you know anyone who would really, really benefit from this episode, or you yourself just really enjoyed it, um, really welcome you to share it to anyone that you feel like could need it, could could grow from it, and also just welcome you to um, you know email or anything like that, leave a comment somewhere where you can let us know how this impacted you, um, because I know, at least for me, I would love to know how this podcast is impacting people. And I know Shirley would love to know if she made an impact. So um, with that being said, we will say goodbye and hope you guys have an incredible week. Thank you so much for listening to What God Has Done With My Pain. As always, a huge shout out to Lazuli for her song, No Greater Love, that has helped make this podcast come to life. You can find her on Spotify and Instagram at Lazuli P-R-O-J and at We The New Breed, where you'll find artists using their gifts to glorify God. Swing by at What Way This Way on Instagram to catch some behind the scenes snippets. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss a single interview. In the meantime, I would love to hear from you on social media or email. Until the next episode.